0: Wahed helps you become a halal investor in minutes. Clients from over 40 states have already started their journey with us. Here's how it works. First, we ask you 8 simple questions to recommend a portfolio based on your risk profile. You then select your portfolio and simply sign up online. Your account can be approved in seconds. After you fund your account, we'll place the trades for you. All you have to do then is sit back and monitor your performance. It actually is that easy.
1: Assalamu alaikum and welcome to another episode of the TMV podcast by The Muslim Vibe, sponsored as always by Wahid Invest. This week I'm joined by Barak Hussein, aka The Muslim Counselor who is a registered psychotherapist at a university in Ottawa Canada treating both local and international students and she also does a lot of mental health advocacy and public speaking internationally to help destigmatize and bring more awareness in the Muslim community to issues pertaining to mental health. Uh, Barak, Assalamu alaikum and thank you for joining us.
2: Wa alaikum assalam it's my pleasure.
1: That was quite a mouthful, uh, reading out everything that you do um, and now also uh, doing podcasts with the Muslim Vibe. How, how do you find the time to balance everything?
2: It's all about time management, right? Everything that we do in our lives, things that we want to do and accomplish, we just have to figure out what is a priority and... You slide in the time like for example i'm doing this during my lunch break now between
0: clients alhamdulillah.
1: <laughs> amazing thank you and um i guess also just quickly um how and why did you decide to get into the, the mental health space
2: uh, well i've always listened to people my friends in high school and leading into university and within the community and I was always drawn to psychology and so um, within our communities, we know that it's either engineering or medicine. There's not really much in between. Yeah. <laughs> um, I kind of went against that and decided to do a mix of the sciences and social sciences, which for me was the psychology. And so I wanted to actually essentially be a doctor through studying psychology. But then I soon realized, you know, sciences are not for me. I'm more interested in um helping people through the soul as opposed to biology through the self. Mm. So, I, alhamdulillah, I went through that uh, uh, route and uh, soon realized there wasn't much um, psychology from an Islamic perspective here in Western uh, psychological studies. And yeah. So, I based my graduate studies research on Islamic counseling theories and practice. And uh, so, it took a life of its own, you could say, when the professor encouraged me to research this area as it was missing when he introduced oh here's western psychology and here's far east mm. I'm like well where's the middle east And he said that's what you're going to research it on but so, wow. i was able to do that and at that time it was very hard to see um, in terms of what was out there that there wasn't much research done there wasn't much uh, books and uh, journals or anything on muslim mental health So I was using loosely translated books. I did a lot of research speaking with different chefs and scholars um, to put this together. Nowadays, alhamdulillah, you see whole institutes. You see whole conferences, whole journals all in this field. And so... You know, doing the clinical bit over the last 10 years or so, I've seen it develop over the years. And the work that I've personally been doing as well in terms of the advocacy is yeah. because there's a need in, in, our, in our community. There's so many issues and struggles that everybody's encountering, but we don't talk about it because of the stigma and the taboo. And so that's the work that I've been doing over the last few years, as well as um, with my team here in Ottawa through the Serenity Islamic Mental Health Awareness Group, where just to, to have basic one-on-one discussions and panels and workshops on what is mental health what are the topics that we encounter basic stuff from stress to anxiety and then we've gotten more deeper into the topics that affect the different people in our communities
1: that's amazing um and i hope you're able to to do this a lot longer and and a lot of more people get involved in this space as well um just for the listeners a a little quick background um we, we had a conversation with with barack uh, offline, unfortunately, it's not recorded anywhere. But we were discussing um, about how we feel that there's a, a a lot of people, you know, go through a, a lot of things in their life, and and unfortunately, often there aren't really places where you can get the answers, and and you can you can actually get a slight insight into um the psychological side of things um you know and access to professionals is quite few and far between very difficult and and barack was generous enough to kind of volunteer her time towards answering a few questions from our readers um so we put a post out on the website and um we had a bunch of questions that came in, and, and, and inshallah, at the end of this podcast, in the in the caption below, I'll include a link where if people do have questions for our next edition, which will hopefully be in a month's time, um, you'll be able to a- ask your questions, and and Barack will um, try her best to answer them. Um, so I think you know, without in, any further ado, let's let's get cracking. Um, so there's actually two questions that were quite similar, and I've tried to kind of group them for you just because there's a lot of recurring themes, which again is, is quite an interesting thing in itself. But um, the the first two questions, um, the first question says, I feel like I need some counselling to help deal with some of the issues that I'm currently going through. Does it make a difference if I speak to a Muslim counsellor or a non-Muslim one? Essentially, is there a difference between the Western philosophy when it comes to dealing with personal issues and a more traditional Islamic one? I feel God needs to be a factor in the solution. And the, the second question, which is quite similar um, or along the same line, says, what, what is the Islamic perspective on mental illnesses and how do we cope with certain disorders, both Islamically and medically? Um, I think the first question you, you obviously touched on with, with your professor and studying the sort of Middle Eastern perspective, but I'm fascinated to hear more about Western philosophy and, and Eastern or Islamic, more traditional philosophies on, on this topic.
0: that's
2: a whole workshop on its own which i do actually and i'm (laughs) going to try to give you the the short version and these are excellent questions and our um the person who posed this question nails it right on the head when they said i feel god needs to be a factor in the solution that's the answer right there so when i was doing the analysis of the different um, psychotherapeutic models western with islamic there's There's the uh, behavioral, there's the uh, psychoanalytical, and so each part of the Western, and these are just a few, there's so much, I'm just giving a few examples, so behavioral, cognitive, behavioral therapy, the psychoanalysis and whatnot, it focuses on one aspect of the human psyche and, and mentality. And so there's one that I found similar to the Islamic, which is the existential humanistic psychology, which encompasses more the spiritual. The others focus, like I said, either on the past of the person or the behavior of the person or the thoughts of the person. Mm But They don't encompass the spiritual aspect of the person. Now, take it a step further to the Islamic perspective. It is about the divine. And this is what this person says. I feel God needs to be a factor in the solution. And that's exactly what it is. When you look at Islamic counseling theories that I put together, um, it, it is about the submission to the one God and, and and to have that as part of the therapy. Because your goal is to, like as a Muslim, submission to God, right? So um, when you apply that to therapeutic model is how do you have overall mental well-being in that balance and, and turning that towards the ibadah for Allah and submission to God
1: and so and, yeah. sorry just uh, to quickly interject, and with regards to uh islam um as a whole, I think like at least personally growing up, I never saw there being a link, and I think mental health you know when I was at school ten years ago wasn't really a thing that people really thought or talked about at all it was all about right. physical health and mental health wasn't um considered, and right. I, I don't know if uh, you know like in Islam is is there a space for mental health, if that makes sense? Like, is it is it an area that the Prophet spoke about that we, we get taught about?
2: Now, from the research that I've done, of course, I've seen that. Again, I'm not a scholar in the area of Islamic studies. Yeah. But the bit that I have uh, researched and studied and discussions that I've had with many people who are scholars, and we know this from the basic ayah of the Qur'an, for example, مِنَا رَحْمَانِ الرَّحِيمِ bi بِذِكْرِ لَا تَطْمَئِنَّ qulub Verily, with the remembrance of Allah, to hearts find serenity, and so right there we're talking about balance and 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 stability within the soul. Right, mm. so this is one concept right there. The connection of remembrance of God for that stability. When we talk about the soul, nafs, and the, the Islamic um, theory of the soul, and this is in the Quran. The three parts of the soul. Right, so the, the uh, repent the part of the mutma'inna, the part of the soul that is at peace part that is at war with the self and, uh, I always forget these even though I know them <laughs> it's in and, um, they will come back the one that is self-reproaching and the third one whenever I remember the, the two I always forget the third but these are the three parts of the self that the Quran describes in, in quite a lot of detail and so when you compare that again, to Western psychology, there's not a lot of discussion on the self and the soul in that aspect, except when you get into the existential part where it incorporates spirituality and the, the self is connected there. So these are small examples that we have from the Quran. And of course, um, when we talk about motivation and behavior, uh, one of my favorite hadith of the Prophet, sallallahu has to do with bil بالخير ta'jiduna. So basically what that means is you know, have a positive attitude and be hopeful. You will find it. That is a form of positive psychology right there in reinforcement. Again, these are small little tidbits. If you go and read and research, you'll see so, so, so much more. And again, when, when you talk about that balance, when you talk about that stability of the self, it's inherent in our faith having um, balanced mental health. And mm-hmm. we talk about the word psychology, it is the study of the soul, and is that not what our um, our faith is all about?
1: Of course, yeah. And um, I guess also uh, another sort of to, to add on to the, the sort of first question: if someone wouldn't or doesn't have access to um, someone from a sort of Islamic background, then mm. are, are there sort of concerns uh, if, if God doesn't feature in the whole therapy process?
2: Now, this really depends on the ther- the therapist and the client. If the, solution- if the problem that the, pro- the person is coming in to see the therapist for is strictly related to an, from an Islamic perspective, of course you would want somebody who understands the basic principles of Islam as well as um, similar Islamic psychological concepts to apply to the therapy. Mm. Um, now, I've given, I've given a presentation many times on this topic in terms of Islamic counseling theories and practice to Muslim audiences as well as to non-Muslim practitioners who would like to treat Muslim uh, patients. And so what I have found is that you don't necessarily have to be of the, the faith to be a good therapist. You need to understand basic concepts, for example, um, you know, the divine and salah and you know, basic things that Muslims would have. And it also comes from the cross-cultural uh, therapy as well so that can be combined there so you don't necessarily have to be of muslim background i know people tend to prefer because then you know for example you have parents who i don't want my child going to see a therapist who's going to take them away from islam that's a misconception when you go to therapy you're not going to be taken away of you know of your belief or your faith that that has to do with a person's struggle but what counseling provides is the safe space to work through the challenges that you're struggling with Ideally, if you are struggling with a Muslim issue, of course you would want somebody of that background to understand but Sometimes having somebody of not that faith just excellent therapeutic skills can help regardless of that So I don't necessarily believe you have to be of Muslim background
1: Okay, that's great. Thank you. Um, moving on to the third question uh, Says, Assalamualaikum. Alaikum, I'm going through tough times as I came to know that my husband has been cheating on me I have panic attacks and feel very depressed I gave, I gave him a second chance for the sake of my children, but there's no remorse or change in his attitude I spend a lot of time doing Salat and dhikr and asking Allah to give me peace of mind To help forget the past and concentrate on my future, but I am unable to do so My sleep is affected and my appetite has also been lost I do Salat and istikhara and pray to Allah to give me guidance What should I do to maintain my mental health? Well,
2: that's a very loaded uh, question when you talk about mental health and the actual circumstances, I would ask more questions to investigate. Is this an abusive relationship? On some level it is when there's infidelity going on like that. Because of course it will affect the person's overall well-being, and it can trigger, as we see here, panic attacks and symptoms of depression. This also can affect the children when they're seeing the parents who are unhappy. There's only so much you can hide in front of the children. So that's why I'm saying this is a loaded question. There's so much involved here. First and foremost in terms of her mental health, is this a safe environment for her and her kids to be in? If it is not, then I I don't encourage this in all cases, but there are certain circumstances where it's not safe for a person to be in such a a situation. Mm -hmm. And so if there is abuse going on, um, and abuse can be defined physical, yes, it can be defined as mental, it could be defined as sexual, financial, um, all of the above. So there's a variety of that. And that will affect somebody's uh, overall well-being of course and essentially their happiness in a marriage so these factors have to be thought of before in terms of before answering the question yeah you know what should i do to maintain my mental health so this person answers all of those questions yes you know this is what's happening then it comes down to the fact um and the very unpleasant question of should you stay in this relationship because it is affecting her overall mental health as we see she's got panic attacks she's depressed she is a woman of faith as you can see in terms of talking about um using coping strategies such as salah and dhikr you know to to gain the peace of mind as she's saying and um but she's still in an unhappy relationship what can she do basic things to do is to work on the things that you have control over. You don't have control of the people around you. You don't have control of, um, for example, the weather, right? Because the weather will have an impact on the person as well. The idea here is you don't have control over these things. What can you do? You have control over how you choose to respond. The choice here. She has a choice.
1: Shall she? sorry just on this i I read a a book recently that was talking about um it was saying that there's a a link between our feelings and our thoughts and and Mm our our feelings are a direct result of our thoughts and so we're, we're unable to kind of separate the two so ultimately it's not about what happens in a situation but the thoughts that we have related to it and that then triggers triggers the feelings um is that your understanding of the situation obviously it was a theory um It's
2: a theory, but it's very much related to cognitive behavioral therapy where whatever thought that you have can trigger a certain behavior and you can work on modifying or changing this maladaptive thought to trigger or modify a certain behavior. So in this case, when we apply this theory or concept to this situation or any situation that's related to anxiety, depression, there comes a point where you have a choice. In terms of how you want to respond. When you really think about this thought, it really has the power to change things. Do I choose to stay in this situation and let it make me feel more depressed? Trigger more panic attack, knowing staying there will cause me that. Or do I work on changing my situation? What is changing me? Well, finally waking up to the fact that this is not a healthy relationship, but there's a lot of factors involved here. Can this person financially step away from this situation? Perhaps not. What is the community going to say? What is the family going to say? Mm -hmm. And, of course, the stigma of divorce within the Muslim community. There's so many factors here. So, again, to answer the question, what should I do to maintain my mental health? It comes down to, is this person willing to stay in this situation? And what are they going to do? Well, control. work on the things you can control on. Uh, control rather so working on your eating habits working on sleeping habits working on getting rid of stress in your life but knowing that you do have this huge (laughs) stressor in the background it's not an easy thing that's why i'm saying if you do choose to stay there what are you going to do to take care of yourself in the situation if you do choose to leave what are you going to do what are the steps are you going to take who are you going to trust and what kind of life are you going to build once you step away from the situation and how do you continue maintaining your health
1: I think I can imagine as well, in, in situations like that, that ultimately one of the most difficult things is actually opening up to people, um, because the, the, all the issues associated with regards to shame and, and like not wanting people to obviously know all of your kind of intimate business and whatever else, um, that, exactly. that must be a huge factor as well.
2: And it is, and, and that will push people and prevent them out of fear. Yeah. from opening up and getting the help that they need, especially if, it's a, if it is an abusive situation, and they will stay and put up with it. But then we know also um, from that how damaging it can be to the spouse um, that is re- at the receiving end of the abuse and how this affects the children as well.
1: Of course. Um, okay, and uh, the next three questions that we have are actually all, all quite linked um, and kind of driven by anxiety. I'll read them all out. Um, But I think there's like a a general theme that runs through them. Mm -hmm. Um, So the first question says, I'm having heavy panic attacks at night, which results in me not sleeping enough. I've always been scared when it comes to me thinking um, to to me that I think that I'm dying, which scares me a lot. I've Mm -hmm. lost some people around me this year, and I know we can't escape death, but I'm having this anxiety about dying and not being able to achieve what a good Muslim must achieve, which is the good deeds and being loved by friends and family. Um second question says my mother passed away when I was 11 months old and my father has been doing everything a mother would do and at the same time he's been a father to me. He is now 76 years old and thank's to Allah he's healthy and, in good uh he's in good health compared with the people his age. It's been over a year um though that the thought of losing him has given me anxiety. Every day at work during my break it comes to my mind and I feel really stressed and anxious. Any advice would be much appreciated. Final question um, says, I'm dealing with anxiety and I'm finding that I'm having a very hard time placing my trust in Allah and having faith that everything will be okay. I'm constantly worrying about something and can't seem to accept things as Allah's will. Could you please give me some advice as to how I can restore my iman and tawakal?
2: Very impressive questions, I must say. (laughs) And these are all related uh, to anxiety, death, and acceptance of Allah's will. So when we talk about anxiety, similar to the other questions that we looked at, it's about understanding the situation that you're in. And when it comes to physical responses of anxiety, sometimes we don't have control over them. They can come up suddenly. Symptoms of anxiety can include heart racing, sweaty palms, racing thoughts, um, just unable to dispute irrational beliefs. And so we see here with the thought of, or the concept of death. Now, as Muslims, we know it's haqq, it's truth. This is part of our life. It's part of the cycle of our lives. And we, and that's why we're encouraged to go to cemeteries. That's why we're encouraged to attend community janazahs. That's why we're encouraged to always face our mortality that way. And also to be humble because one day it's for you, one day it's against you, and you. we're all heading in that direction. But we don't know when, yeah. And we don't know how. This concept right there, we don't know when, we don't know how, this is what triggers anxiety when it comes to death. And I wouldn't necessarily say it's a lack of faith towards uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when it comes to this, but it's lack of understanding of what death is all about. The things we don't understand, we are fearful
1: of. Can I, can I not challenge that, but just kind of further understand, because I think a lot of people yeah. have, have the concern that if they are sort of strong believers in Islam that have, you know, Iman and whatever else that ultimately they would understand the will of Allah. And therefore they would understand that everything has a time and place and, you know, everything is written and we are from him and to him we shall return. So they they shouldn't have inherently a fear of death, almost like an irrational fear of death because like it's very rational in our religion. So uh, how do you reconcile those, those kind of two notions?
2: Well, again, it would come to working on things that you don't understand. Having just blind face like that is great, but how many of us really actually have that
1: mm. as, but how, as in, I'm not asking you how we build that, because obviously <laughs> that, that's where you go to a sheikh for, but like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. How, how do you tackle these things, which are more symptoms, when, when it, it almost feels like you have to strip back the foundations to understand where your faith is?
2: Well, that's the thing. This is where we get, like, if I have a client in front of me who's fearful about that, I'll work through it from anxiety um, in terms of, all right, so what's the worst that can happen here? You lose this person. Let's work with that. You lose this person, then what? Well, I will miss this person. Is that so bad? How can you work with that? So we'll break things down. We'll take the irrational fear and break it down to something that person could work with or live with or find solutions to Work with that. Does that mm. make sense? Yeah. So th- always breaking the irrational thought instead of funneling things out, we bring it down to something that is easier for them to swallow or work with and face the fear. So always breaking down that fear. And, you know, you're, you're joking about, oh, you need to talk to a sheikh for certain things like that, for sure. But then we can also incorporate that into the therapy. When we talk about building faith as a coping strategy to dealing with an issue
1: that is causing them stress and uh, anxiety is actually something that we've we've spoken about when when we met in ottawa um mm-hmm. and 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 we we wrote a piece on the muslim bible we kind of did an interview and we we turned that interview into a, a piece for the muslim vibe um yes. and I, I think you mentioned something really interesting there about um using questions like asking people about uh, you know when you say about faking it till you make it Right. Um, that, I, that, that phrase has stuck with me since then. And, and <laughs> I, I think it's a, it's a really important thing that you said. I, I don't want to, I'll do it an injustice. So I, I, can, you, can you elaborate on that point, please, for our, for our listeners? Yes,
2: yeah, so fake it till you make it. Um, so this has a lot of biology, believe it or not, uh, to help with emotions. The idea here, and I'll give you an example, when um, you don't feel like smiling, right, and somebody tells you laugh or smile, you'll eventually start smiling or laughing, genuinely. The reason being here is you're triggering different parts of the brain that give off that behavior, which then makes you feel that way because there are hormones and chemicals released that mimic the behavior. You're tricking the brain. So when you smile, you're triggering the muscles that trigger the chemicals to make you feel happy. And so when, when you apply this concept to fake it till you make it, it helps you eventually get used to the situation around you but then faking it then eventually rewires your brain makes you accept the situation and eventually you move along you let go you get used to it and we're quite resilient uh beings subhanallah resilient but also very adaptive we we can take on challenges that come our way with this idea does that make sense
1: yeah yeah. of course not isn't I'm, Mm. i'm sold already (laughs) <laughs> yeah <laughs> that, that was for everyone else um, yeah
2: and so this could be a coping strategy that a lot of people can use temporarily to get now I, I don't encourage people being fake <laughs> this is not what the idea here is <laughs> the idea is this could be used as a temporary strategy to get you going another example with that is uh, students who are or people who are just struggling to get a task done and so we have This cognitive behavioral strategy called the five minute rule, which I put in the category of fake it till you make it. So the the five minute rule, you have a task that you need to get done and you really don't feel like doing it or you're too depressed or you're too anxious. So this is what you tell yourself. I am going to be doing this task for five minutes. My goal is to complete it five minutes. That's it. Set your timer, begin the task, do it for five minutes. Your timer rings and then you're done. So then you assess yourself how do i feel about this can i continue with it yeah all right let's continue keep going if after five minutes you notice yourself no you know i'm good i don't feel like it your goal was accomplished you were supposed to do this for five minutes you're done leave it do not berate yourself do not feel bad or anything because your goal was to do it for five minutes Mm. put the task aside go do something else come back in 15 20 minutes and, and try it again so this again goes into that category of fake it till you make it because it really can motivate you. What is the hardest part getting started? You've just done it right there.
1: I think I think what, from from what I've seen of, of of people I know that have this kind of um, mentality, often it's a case of they they know like if you tell them they'll be like oh yeah actually you're right I have achieved my task but they still kind of berate themselves because they feel like they should be doing more. Or, you know what I mean? They they can't focusing on on actually seeing what's in front of them and they're like almost like their their minds are too cloudy with with all of the negativity or whatever else it might be associated to that space Um, Mm -hmm. but that still kind of plagues them and and bears down on them quite heavy Um, yeah
2: yeah, it does. It does. And, and that's the problem that I find within our communities, people who are dealing with depression anxiety. I mean, you know, you can't tell that person, you know, go read Quran or du'a or make salah, you know, strengthening your faith with God. That will help you work through it.
0: Mm-hmm. They
2: berate themselves for that kind of thing. I always use the analogy of somebody who's, you know, broken a bone of some sort. You can't go tell them to go read Quran to heal that. That's not how it works. <laughs> they need time to actually do the practical stuff, setting up the physical healing, yeah. before they will be able to let's say go pray again because when you've broken you're like you're not going to be able to pray as you once could right there's different ways of doing it to pray mm. but you're not going to be able to do it properly first needs to do the physical healing so when we apply this concept to or this uh, narrative to depression or mental illness yeah. um, it's the same concept work on the practical things that you can change that you can change around you again eating sleeping exercise taking medication to help um lower the intensity of the symptoms so that this stuff can actually kick in the spiritual Mm. person can then work on that but see this is where the problem comes within our community because people are so um self-loathing self-defeating thoughts and berating themselves because they're not encouraging the few steps that they can take when their leg so to speak is broken
1: yeah, it it's, it's actually reminds me of, um, I, I heard a lecture once where the, the lecturer was talking about trying to wake up for Salat al for the night prayers. And he said, don't jump in and like do the whole thing. Don't, you know, wake up on day one and, and do everything. Like your spiritual stamina will get destroyed and depleted. And, and it's about mm-hmm. like the first day you set an alarm, you wake up, you drink a glass of water and you go back to sleep. That's it. You don't even get out of bed. And you slowly build up your stamina and, and build up that way. And I think the way I see it is that because we don't look at our minds as physical entities, like you said, like when you break a leg, there's no way you're playing football the next day. Of course, like you wouldn't, it's laughable to even think of that. Yet when you think of like from a mental well-being perspective or from like from that side of things, we because we don't see our minds and our sort of um, mental well-being as, as a physical entity, we feel that we can just kind of jump back into things without there being any rest and recuperation. And then you essentially bruise it again. And and I think people kind of fall into this perpetual cycle as a result. Um, But yeah, no, it it just, it just made me think of of that. Um, We've got, Two slash three more questions. Um, I think we should mm-hmm. quickly move on. Uh, as you know, you said you're on your lunch break, so I, I want to let you eat as well before okay. you carry on working. I'm
2: actually fasting today. Probably. Oh, wow.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, then we can go on for, for as, long as, <laughs> as long as you want.
2: Inshallah. Uh, but I just wanted to say what, quickly what you brought yeah. up there. It's about taking steps, it's about the spiritual building of taking steps, step by step, because then you wire your brain to be able to accept things, and mm. and to, to build a good or bad habit, so to speak. There, uh, research has shown it takes three week, two to three weeks, 21 days approximately, to build a good or bad habit. And so that's the same idea what the sheikh was describing right there. Yeah. When you do things step by step, you're positively reinforcing and motivating yourself. And that's how motivation works, is when you accomplish that small task, you're more likely to go do it the next time, and then that feeling just keeps building like that. It's very
1: empowering. No, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um all right, moving on. Um mm-hmm. two questions from from one person. Yes. Uh, the first one is how do I deal with addiction um that I've had for a long time and also going back to it after repeated repentance. Um and secondly, uh how to deal with parents who have extremist views and forcing their views on you. Um so I think let's start with with the addiction question. And to be honest, I I was surprised there weren't more questions around addiction because I think all forms of addiction, everyone is plagued with with different forms of addiction, um, and and from a sort of psychological perspective, trying to understand that and how to, I guess, break the the vicious cycle.
2: So this again is a is a big question that I'm going to try and answer very briefly. What I was saying before about building. Um, and wiring and training yourself is the same concept here in reverse when it comes to addictions. So, for example, substance abuse, alcohol, drugs. Um, when a person starts with, let's say, oh, let's start with shisha, and then all of a sudden there's marijuana, you know, with a group of people and peer pressure. That, that and escalated and that. very quickly. Exactly, which then gets <laughs> into hard drugs like cocaine and whatnot and could get into alcoholism. And you know what? Let's be realistic. This is happening in our community. Yeah. There is a lot of youth as well as elders who have these addictions who hide it very well or are public and don't care anymore. Um, but what happens here is when you start off with that the you know the party drug or the smoking and that buzz that you get, you want to bring it up again next time because it's not enough with the amount that you had before. That's how addictions work. The next time you want more, you want more because you want that same buzz and the amount of drugs that you are taking, chemicals that are playing with your brain and your body are not enough. And so Mm. you need more, more, more. And that's how it works. You become addicted because it becomes part of your chemical and biological and psychological structure. It becomes, it comes, it's inside of you and so that's how that addiction keeps going the question is how do you go back you know um how do you deal with this addiction and go back to what i've repeated repentance repentance is one thing similar to what we were saying before with the broken leg analogy Hmm. repentance is one thing but actually getting the proper help is another you need to go see an addictions counselor register yourself into a rehabilitation program get the proper help to help you break that cycle you know and spiritual repentance and work around that will help of course but it's again the same thing somebody who um is sick or has the flu um are you just you know you're just going to keep on letting it happen or you're actually going to go to the doctor and get the proper antibiotics to help you get started on it and maintain it properly so same concept get the proper medical and professional help to help you with that addiction and then the spiritual repentance and all of that around can help as well so this is in a nutshell <laughs> it's so much more layered and I,
1: i'm sure i'm sure it will come up again um and, and Insh- we can discuss yeah. it from from different as you say inshallah inshallah not but you know what I mean. <laughs> inshallah,
2: not. but inshallah 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 people reach out to get help That's what of course
1: I mean. yeah no no it, it, it's important that we're able to have have these conversations um, mm-hmm. for sure uh how to deal with parents yeah so i mean just quickly
2: (laughs) so this is an interesting one because again there's a whole whole layers involved with this because you're talking about parents who are coming from a different culture a different generation who grew up completely different than we are growing up here let's say in the west and of Mm. course i'm paraphrasing imam ali's uh beautiful um where he talks about um you know raising your do not raise your children in the world that you grew up in, they have to be raised in the world that they're in. So, what is that? What is that advice to the parents? Is that you have to understand the world that your children are growing up in. It's not the same as where you grew up in. And then, and there has to be some kind of healthy communication between the generations, where yeah. you can still you can still um, teach and guide and help uh, children. Um, understand their Islam and, and we can't force that and that's the thing is that the parents believe that you have to force um, and your children to be the same way that you were and it, it, it again comes down to parenting and you know and, and I don't blame the parents as well but at the same time the flip side is that you know we see the problems that are happening in our communities whether it's from relationships whether it's suicide whether um, it's drugs and addictions and so the parents are terrified of their kids You know, going with al su, you know, the bad influence of friends, Mm. and and losing themselves as well as their faith. So sometimes you have the parent who is, you know, trying to uh, keep the children on the right path, but then you also have parents who don't understand Islam themselves properly and are forcing cultural views, yeah, um, and family traditions as opposed to the actual Islamic proper traditions of the Prophet and Ahlul Baitay Salam. So there has to be that understanding. It's it's and, I, and me as a parent, I as a young parent, I see both because I'm still young enough to understand the issues of the community, but at the same time I'm also a parent and understand, no, you know, there's this aspect as well. And so there has to be a lot of people like us, um, in the middle to kind of I would say make both sides understand where the others are coming from and to 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 get the psychological understanding of things. And of course our own traditions, our own Islamic traditions, when it comes to child-rearing and development. And the Prophet himself talked about development, right? The three, the thirds, the thirds of thirds. So, and he explains explicitly what happens in each of these stages. And then we also have uh, the psychological theories Western, and I've done a lot of analysis on this and lectures on this because it's fascinating to see how they all complement each other, um, when, and how our faith, 1,400 years ago, already discussed the, the psychological development of children, but sometimes our parents don't quite understand that in order to be able to um, guide children instead of forcing their views on them.
1: Hmm.
2: So the, how to deal with parents who are like that? Well, you as a child, as a youth, a teenager... How about you take it on yourself to understand um, what Islam is from a healthier perspective, as opposed to of it being forced on you, and perhaps getting people involved, a trusted adult that you trust in the community, who can come and have a chat with the parents, um, because unfortunately sometimes we do have that where culture is forced rather than guided religion.
1: Yeah, I, I think yeah, I think from from my own personal experience as well, like communication is is central to all of this in terms of, you know, when you actually sit down and, and take a second to, to speak to your parents um, and understand or try and understand their perspective and also appreciate where they came from, especially in the West. A lot of us are, are sort of second, third generation immigrants. My Both my parents grew up abroad and okay. um, moved to, to London. Uh, and so obviously that the context in which they grew up and their understanding of Islam was radically different to mine and and my context. And so naturally their their worldview is going to be entirely different. but yeah, but I, we
2: don't understand that as children. We're not going to understand that as young adults, as teenagers, yeah. and hormones. We're not going to understand. That. I think
1: it's interesting as well. It's like when you when you start growing up a little bit, and and then you start understanding that like there's a younger generation beneath me. For example, I went to an event yesterday, and it was a very young crowd. It was like kind of university, recent graduate age, which is just mm-hmm. a bit below me, and I felt extremely out of place. Um, wow! And it's interesting because it's like. I, like, I, I just, I almost, there was like a slight disconnect. Um, and and that's when I realized that actually time changed. You can only imagine like your parents being 20-ish years older than you. Um, naturally, there's going to be a, such a huge disconnect and like a, 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 just a gap, a generation gap. And it's something that we need to bridge from both sides. Um, so it's about us also understanding and appreciating our parents and, and them appreciating us and, and the world that we've been brought up in. Um, And this is
2: by the example of our prophet where he tells parents to be a friend to your child during those informative years. Yeah. And being a friend, this is where communication comes in. Of course.
1: And the final question for today, the question says, Salam, I can't seem to get my mind off marriage. I desire it greatly but still haven't finished school. Even though I'm searching for a wife, the process is emotionally taxing and I can't seem to get over my eagerness to get married. I understand yeah. it's an emotional need to have a spouse, but the longing for marriage is ruining my life. Help me.
2: Oh, well, another another loaded question, and I feel the pain and the struggle of this young man. Um, he's trying to do right by his religion, but at the same time, it's not really working out while being in school. So this is really interesting. Um, this I see related from a psychological point of view to, the, to obsessive thoughts or reoccurring Thoughts that person cannot get away from. So we can apply this to really any thought that is constantly taking up our energy and our um, motivation to focus on other things. So what I would suggest in this case is for this person to chill, <laughs> to try and relax and not keep all of their mind on this one thing. The more you think about something like that the more it takes on a life of its own this is where you know you you have to kind of delegate different parts of your life to focus on different parts of your life and in time this thing that you are desiring that you're working towards will come to be if you do it in in a healthy way so the part where i can't seem to get my mind off of marriage this is where this person needs to replace it with a healthy substitute so it could be a hobby, perhaps going to the gym or, you know, volunteering or taking your mind off of something that is causing you a lot of distress that way can really help alleviate some of that pressure. Yeah. Sooner or later, this person, you know, the specific circumstance of marriage, sooner or later, they, they will find the right person, inshallah. Yeah. Um, but in the meantime, you know, they want to finish school. They want to be productive members of society. Um, you know, if they've got a family to be with, friends and whatnot, you um, so it's about again balance and trying to work with that thought that is constantly trying to overtake you again bringing it down to to anxiety is let's look at this thing what's the worst thing that could happen right now you're not married okay is that so bad yeah well you know i i want that emotional need you know i i want to have that connection that attachment so my question would be so you want the attachment or do you want the person Because that, again, that's a whole other issue that we can discuss in the future about relationships and communication and attachment and bonding. Because people are sometimes in love with the idea of being with someone as opposed to truly being with a certain somebody, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think, again, (laughs) reflecting on my own kind of um, life and when I was younger, I think a lot of the time there's kind of this excitement about the world and and wanting to do things like you know before i was at university that summer i just wanted to be at university like i I wanted to move on with my life and then like as soon as i was when i I was in like university i just wanted to start working and now that i've started working i just want to retire yeah and and you're
2: going through the phases very quickly brother
1: i'm enjoying you gotta enjoy this is no exactly this is it so like i now now when i kind of look back i realized that summer before university was like the most beautiful time because i had no worries about exams i just finished everything and it was i i should have just enjoyed that and at university i should have just (laughs) and and i feel like i did actually make a, a, a I made the most of it in terms of the fact that at the time I realized this was probably the the, the best time of my life in terms of like zero responsibility and, and not having to really do anything other than a few exams here and there. Um, and, and the stresses were relatively small and confined to like studies. Um, True. True. but, but again, it's like, as I kind of, grow older and mature and, and hopefully a little bit wiser. If, if my white hairs are anything to, to go by, then I'm extremely wise. Um, but <laughs> but um, I, I think I've, I personally have learned to try and just appreciate the moment because with every opportunity comes challenges and with every Absolutely. kind of every little step and progress we make in a certain direction, new hurdles are going to arise and, and a lot comes with that. And I think sometimes we just underestimate Um, how could we have it? And, you know, as the saying goes, the grass is always greener on the other side. Um,
2: And, And to add to that, brother, what you said sums it up beautifully because every stage of life, you're going to be encountered with different challenges and difficulties. And the question I give back to you is how do you choose, not how are you going to deal with it, how do you choose to cope and deal with these? And mindfulness is one of them, appreciating every moment, every challenge that comes your way because these challenges are actually opportunities for growth, development, self-reflection, um, you know, setting boundaries, meeting new people, and just discovering who you are. Yeah. And really appreciating the moments with the challenges that come by. It develops you into who you are for the next stage, absolutely.
1: Of course. Um, I think we will end it there. I um, wanted to, to thank you on behalf of the people who asked the questions and our listeners for your time Um, and although you are fasting for for also taking your your one hour lunch break um, to do this and and inshallah we'll be doing this again um, next month as I said the link to ask your questions anonymously will be um, in in the description of this and yeah thank you all for joining us once again this has been the TMV podcast by The Muslim Vibe sponsored by Wahid Invest um, I don't think I introduced myself at the beginning. Uh, no, no, you so didn't. <laughs> this is uh, <laughs> If you've made it this far, this is Salim Qasim, the chief editor of the Muslim Vibe. Um, yeah, thank you for joining us and Inshallah we'll do this again soon. Asalaamu Alaikum. Thank you very much
2: Inshallah,
0: we'll see you next time. Take care, Asalaamu Alaikum. helps you become a halal investor in minutes. Clients from over 40 states have already started their journey with us. Here's how it works. First, we ask you 8 simple questions to recommend a portfolio based on your risk profile. You then select your portfolio and simply sign up online. Your account can be approved in seconds. After you fund your account, we'll place the trades for you. All you have to do then is sit back and monitor your performance. It actually is that easy.